This is the History of the World podcast with me, Chris Hasler. And this is the History of the World podcast, unscripted. Another unscripted episode of the History of the World podcast. Another episode just to fill in the gap between volumes. Volume 2 on the ancient world is finished. And volume 3 on the classical world is coming. And we're making good progress with the new volume. Uh, A lot of material has been written already. We're going to be exploring the Persians to begin with. But in the meantime, we're just publishing these unscripted episodes in order to keep keep the momentum of the podcast going. So we like to publish one podcast a week. And while I'm preparing the new volume, which does take a bit of time and work, we do want to keep in touch with you the listener so we're putting out some uh, unscripted episodes they're not really meant to be episodes of quality but we just overview some other subjects which we wish to have spoken more uh, about during the podcast series proper and um, this week we're going to be looking at one of the pharaohs of Egypt who was well I I took a little bit of criticism from one of my regular listeners Joel McKinnon who um, he may he may not be listening regularly at the moment just purely because he landed himself a very important job working for NASA of all companies and uh, his probably time isn't his own at the moment I should imagine but he does still keep in touch with the podcast um, I remember when I was doing the ancient Egypt episodes the first profile episode I did was in relation to Ramesses II, the very famous and long-serving uh, pharaoh of Egypt. And uh, I was criticised for choosing Ramesses II. Joel said a better choice would have been Thutmose III, who had glorious victories in the Levant and a, a very good reputation, where Ramesses was a propagandist and uh, we explored that in volume two how his escapades at the battle of Kadesh were not as glorious as he might have led his subjects to believe so quite an interesting criticism and one that I thought that I would address more closely this week But this choice of subject has also led me into quite an interesting subject when it comes to creating history podcasts. And it reminded me of an email that I received or or it was a review that I received where um, a certain gentleman docked a star off the review just because of the way that I pronounced something. And I thought that this was quite an interesting subject because not only do I have an unusual accent in the fact that I'm from England and most of the listeners to the podcast, in fact the the vast majority of the listeners of the podcast 
reside in the United States of America. So for some, it would my accent would be quite a novelty in that aspect. So uh, the other thing I would say is the way that I pronounce certain words, and it's very difficult for me to pick the right pronunciation because in a lot of cases... Uh, there's no agreed pronunciation. Now, when I talk to my sister about ancient Egypt, she will call Thutmose, Tutmose. And neither of us are really wrong, really, to be honest with you. It's just a preference. And it, it does make it difficult. And it led me on to think about um, the material for the new volume, volume three, where we're going to start with the Persians. And if we start with the Persians, the first regime of Persia was the Achaemenids. Now, I call it the Achaemenids, but I could be in the minority there. I've seen it pronounced Achaemenids. I've seen it pronounced Achaemenids. Which is right, which is wrong? It'd be interesting to hear from you. How would you say that word? And uh, indeed, we how do we, how do you say Homo sapiens? How do you say metallurgy, metallurgy? Um, and also, how would you say Thutmos? Um, pronunciation is a very key aspect of the podcast, and I endeavour to try and pick the most popular um, pronunciation if indeed I don't need to stay true to my own identity. And, uh, you know, hence the reason why I say Homo sapiens, because my fellow countrymen say Homo sapiens. So. An interesting subject about pronunciation and something as a podcaster that I have to consider with a great deal of seriousness. Anyway, what's your opinion about that? Let me know. Let me know what you feel about pronunciation and the fact that, um, you know, my accent and my locality lead me to pronounce things a certain way. Um, What's your feeling about it, if you have one? Um, leading on from that, I'm just going to touch briefly upon the work of Volume 3. So um, prevalent in Volume 3, certainly in the beginning, will be the Persians and then we'll have to cover the Greeks and the Romans. So it's going to be an extremely interesting volume and it's going to be packed full of information. There's, there's so much to tell you about in regards to this period of history. And uh, initially, we're going to go with the Persians because I think it gives us a strong timeline that we can attach the rest of the volume to. So the Persian, um, the Persian Empire, pre-Islamic Persian Empire, is a very, very important period of history, and we can get through it by looking at the Achaemenids, looking at the Seleucids looking at the uh, the Parthians and looking at the Sassanids, that we can build ourselves a strong timeline through the classical period. And then when you look at Islamic Persia, you're looking at the medieval age, really. So it, it, it works really nicely in terms of constructing a timeline. So we look at all of that. And then we can attach the uh, the other cultures to it, As, especially Persia. Geographically, is is fantastic because it's bang in the middle of the the Silk Road trade routes. So it has it, it acts as like the I don't know. It's like the trunk of the tree. So as soon as we set up Persia, we're in a we're in a really particularly great position to then attach the other cultures to it. 
Okay, so back to Thutmose the Third. We are talking about the New Kingdom Pharaoh here. So we're looking, we're travelling back to the 15th century BCE. And the debate really uh, stems from something on our discussion forum where we discuss who was the greater pharaoh of Egypt. Was it Thutmose III or was it Ramesses II? So rather than go into a strong debate about Ramesses II, we uh, just direct you to the podcast uh, all about Ramesses II, which we uh, published as episode 16 of volume 2 so go and listen to volume uh, to episode 16 if you want an insight into the astonishing reign of pharaoh Ramesses II about 200 years after Thutmose III now the background for Thutmose III uh, he uh, was the son of another pharaoh called Thutmose II now, if I have to play devil's advocate with Thutmose III and uh, discuss how great he may or may not have been, it would be incorrect for me to be dismissive of his aunt, Hatshepsut. Now, Hatshepsut was astonishing because she rose to power in, a, in a, an age where it was very, very rare to see a female ruler, but in, her, in the aftermath of her reign, She's now considered to be one of the greatest queens in history. And Hatshepsut was astonishing for the way that she uh, applied herself to the role of Pharaoh. Uh, a role that she might have otherwise not have um, been required to perform. When Thutmose II died, his son, who became Thutmose III, was just a child. So Hatshepsut uh, ruled pretty much as regent. And she was of high standing and very highly respected, but she applied herself to the job of the pharaoh uh, with great vigour and with great wisdom and intelligence. Now, we didn't really talk too much about Hatshepsut in our, in our nominal episode, so back in episode 15, we spoke more about Thutmose III, but Hatshepsut was considerable. What she proved herself to be was a great administrator of the kingdom with um, a lot of with high levels of negotiation skills, with opening up trade routes, with the commission of building projects. While when her, uh, when her nephew Thutmose III came of age, who was uh, inevitably going to become the new pharaoh of Egypt, he would be the campaigner and he would be the man who led the army. So they complemented each other extremely well. And it was thanks to Hatshepsut's great administration of the kingdom that Thutmose was able to gain a strong foothold in his future reign of Egypt. Now, if you remember last week, we briefly touched upon the brief lifespan of the Mitanni Empire. And uh, the Mitanni, initially they were supported by the Egyptians, but uh, when the Mitanni became more powerful, it, um, it soon became apparent that the Mitanni and the Egyptians had a conflict of interests, really, in terms of Levantine lands mainly. And um, in Kadesh, and this is uh, sometime before the Battle of Kadesh, so we're not talking about Kadesh 
in the aftermath of the battle. We're talking about Kadesh uh, before uh, the reign of Ramesses II, so 200 years before. But there was a rebellion and it would culminate in uh, the kings of Kadesh and Megiddo um, forming a Canaanite alliance against the Egyptians to try and repel the Egyptians from their overall of the area and they were supported by the Mitanni. And uh, in a famous battle, um, as I say, in 1457 BCE, Thutmose III overcame the alliance and managed to defeat them in their own lands. And uh, I believe the forces were of a similar size, so it was quite uh, quite an evenly matched battle. But uh, that makes the victory even more astonishing, the fact that uh, Thutmose III would go to their own lands and defeat them in their backyard and ultimately there would be a territorial expansion of Egypt in the Levant so it's quite a key moment in the expansion of the new kingdom of Egypt. Now Thutmose's campaigning or methods of campaigning and successes is discussed vigorously by historians who uh, who debate how good Thutmose was as a, as a leader, as a, as a military leader. And Thutmose is generally thought to have been very, very successful and a, and a master tactician and a strategist who would take a good view of the overall picture of a, of a situation and make a considered decision about how to approach it. So, for example, I'll give you an example, really, in terms of conquering a territory he would be very careful to conquer it bit by bit, so he would probably pick out some of the weaker cities and subjugate them first before um, weakening the kingdom as a whole or the or the um, or the area, the region as a whole, and then striking in a very considered fashion, rather than going in all guns blazing. It's very considered campaigning by Thutmose. And we see more of this at the aforementioned Battle of Megiddo, where Thutmose III took a very strong tactical approach in terms of the way that he approached the city itself, and he kind of double-bluffed the enemy by picking the route that the enemy was not expecting him to approach by, and that gained him a strong tactical advantage, and some would argue that it was that decision that was the game changer, that was the one that determined the outcome of that battle. And that was thanks to the wisdom and uh, sort of wiliness of Thutmose III as a military leader. So despite uh, Thutmose's successes in the Levantine lands and the fact that he was able to cross the Euphrates River and terrorise the Mitanni, that wasn't uh, the only place where he gained success. He would also expand the kingdom southwards into the Nubian lands. Um, and the Nubians, obviously, that sort of bane of the Egyptian south of the Sudanese lands, as we would look at them today. Thutmose would extend his lands up the Nile River into Nubian lands as well. And uh, it does seem like Thutmose understood the, the value of the grandeur of being 
the pharaoh as well so he wasn't just a hardened military campaigner he was also a a glorious pharaoh in his own right so we speak of Ramesses II as this propagandist as this showman a man who would lead you to believe his greatness because his greatness went before him thanks to all of the monumental building projects and uh, amazing um, temples that he would construct. Well, Thutmose was also very similar. He was into uh, temple construction within his own kingdom, so he strongly believed in creating a presence uh, within his own kingdom. And uh, also the electrum-plated chariot, which um, has been attributed to him. So, I mean, this is kind of, you know, a, a, a gesture of grandeur to say, you know, I am the great pharaoh of Egypt. Take a look at this electrum-plated chariot, this uh, thing that Egyptians were not aware of um, some 200 years before, you know, before the invasion of the Hyksos brought the chariot to Egypt. Thutmose would uh, exploit this new weapon in Egyptian uh, military vehicles and uh, he would indeed create this fantastic electrum-plated chariot all of his own. So he was, you know, he, he was a bit vainglorious like uh, Ramesses II uh, after him, so we can't just see him as this uh, fantastic warlord only. He was his own propagandist of sorts and maybe not on the level of Ramesses II that one's open to debate but he certainly knew what it was to be the pharaoh and act like a pharaoh now it would be wrong of me not to mention the fact that um, Hatshepsut um, who ruled as co-regent of Egypt um, in the early years of Thutmose III allowed Thutmose control of the armies so there was there seemed to be a very good cohesive uh, co-regency going on at that point there's no reason to believe that there was any kind of uh, conflict between Hatshepsut and Thutmose III and uh, but after her death it does seem like a lot of the imagery of Hatshepsut and certainly around her tomb imagery of her face and of any reference to Hatshepsut was defaced and destroyed and was covered up as if someone was trying to erase her from the historical record and historians seem to attribute this to Thutmose III's reign but it was it didn't happen directly after her death it happened some years after her death towards the end of Thutmose III's lifetime. So when he was becoming quite elderly, it seemed that this action took place, this act of trying to remove Hatshepsut's image and record of her existence, record of her uh, rule of the kingdom. It seemed like someone was desperately trying to get rid of that from the historical record. Now, trying to pinpoint the motivation for that is a difficult thing it, you know when you think about it if Thutmose had a desire to remove Hatshepsut from the record in order to maybe protect the um, protect the throne from going to 
uh, his offspring as a, as opposed to somebody who was more closely related to Shepsut's line of descendancy. Um, you know, you would have thought that that would have happened directly after Hatshepsut's death and not, um, you know, some 25 years after. So it's still a huge mystery as to what and why and how and all of the questions related to this defacing of Hatshepsut's, um, you know, identity and image. Um, a very interesting discussion and I wonder if it could have been the actions of you know, a future heir or a future pharaoh of Egypt in the later years of Thutmose III. So, you know, it didn't have to be commissioned by Thutmose III. It could have been commissioned by another powerful entity within Egypt. And and I tend to think it's got more to do with that. I can't imagine why Thutmose would wait 25 years and then suddenly decide that that was the case, unless there was some major political shift in the country towards the end of his reign. Um, however, he did uh, he did reign in Egypt for some 54 years of his 56 um, that he was alive and uh, obviously originally co-regent with Hatshepsut and then uh, it does appear that there was a co-regency with his son towards the end, Amenhotep II. And, you know, my feeling is that it may have, been more closely linked to Amenhotep II, maybe being a bit paranoid that someone else would try and claim the throne of Egypt ahead of him uh, on the death of Thutmose III. So it's more likely that it would have been something to do with him that Hatshepsut's image was tried to, um, that they tried to erase Hatshepsut's image from history. So that really is a very brief story of um, Thutmose III. What do you think of Thutmose III compared to Ramesses II? Do you think that Thutmose was a better pharaoh? Do you think um, you know his campaigning was obviously more successful but in terms of successful campaigning what does it all amount to at the end of the day? Uh, should it be that Ramesses II should be celebrated for the fact that he got um, he got his ass kicked basically at the Battle of Kadesh, and went back to Egypt and claimed it as a victory, and it seems that he got away with it. Does that make Ramesses II a better pharaoh? They both certainly reigned for a long time. Um, I'd be interested to hear who do you think is the better pharaoh, Thutmose the Third or Ramesses the Second? If you have an opinion, then please by all means. Let us know. Post a uh, post a message on the forum on the discussion forum. Uh, there's always there's already been a bit of interest in the forum anyway in terms of this question. Thutmose the third versus Ramesses the second. Come along and let us know your feelings. Now, just briefly before I leave you again for another week, um, I just want to let you know about the uh, the Patreon page. So we always promote it every week because it is quite important to the future of the podcast and the quality of the podcast that people do consider making donations to the show. And if you want to make a donation, then just by all means go to the podcast website, historyoftheworldpodcast.com and click on the Patreon link. And there's already a great number of Patreons who um, are 
contributing towards the show's upkeep and we thank you hugely. All of them are now promoted to the History of the World podcast Illuminati and uh, you could too can become a member of the Illuminati by contributing as little as $1 a month. And for those uh, patrons who have uh, cumulatively uh, contributed over $50 to the podcast, we've now received the gift packs uh, of the History of the World podcast, uh, key rings, fridge magnets, um, mug coasters, that kind of thing. And we're going to be dispatching them over the next couple of weeks. So those of you who have been patiently waiting for that reward... Uh, we've got the rewards now. They're in our possession and we're in a position to start distributing them over the course of the next couple of weeks. So hopefully you should see them, um, probably, you know, hopefully by the start of the new volume, which um, I'm targeting December. We're making good progress. So I do believe that we can start the new podcast series in December at the very latest. So progress being made. Um, I'm going to wrap it up now for this week. Uh, it's been a bit of a long, unscripted episode and we've packed plenty in. Um, once again, not sure of the content of next week. Um, I'm hoping maybe that... Um, I think I've been invited to an interview um, somewhere, so hopefully more details of that will emerge um, in the future. Maybe we can turn one of our unscripted episodes into an interview just to change it up. Uh, into something, invite someone else to be a part of the show Uh, but I'll give you more updates as I receive them and uh, until next week, thanks very much for listening and have a fantastic week everyone, cheerio The History of the World podcast is available on many different podcast platforms, so please don't forget to rate and review us wherever you find us. Visit our website at historyoftheworldpodcast.com and email us at historyoftheworldpodcast at mail.com. Support the podcast at Patreon by clicking the support the podcast link at our website and join us on social media at Facebook, Twitter and Tumblr.